0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to part 5B of our Moving Your Medical Career to Australia series. In part 5B, we are talking all things WBA. My name is Dr. Caroline. I'm Dr. Sasha. And we are from CodeU Australia, where we help people revive, survive, and thrive in their medical careers. So, in part 5B, we are gonna talk about the WBA program. This stands for the Work-Based Assessment Program. And where this fits in the pathway to general registration is on top of the 47 weeks of supervised practice, which we discussed in the previous podcast. So if you haven't listened to that, you should. Where this fits is either you have to do some form of clinical examination to satisfy the AMC. So you can either do a work-based assessment program or you can do your AMC clinical exam, but both are clinical exams.
1: Yep, it's just it's basically just another route to getting to general registration. Most people will follow AMC one with their AMC two clinical exam. This is an alternative to testing your clinical skills or your clinical knowledge um, in a work-based environment that's not in an OSCE exam type environment. But it, the same skills are essentially tested and you get to the same place. You still get to general registration.
0: That's right. So if you pass it, you get your general registration if you have all the other requirements as well, which we've discussed in previous podcasts. Okay, so we are mentioning that WBA is like an alternative to the AMC2 clinical exam. However, um, the question comes down to who can do WBA? Can you just one day decide, I'm going to do WBA instead of my AMC2 clinical exam? The answer is no. Um, If you follow us on socials, we constantly get asked this question um, or we get told by people that they have, they're going to do their WBA, but they're not they're not in a WBA hospital. So it seems like there's a lot of confusion around who can do it and who can't. Um, while I was researching this topic, I actually came across the AMC website has an eligibility flow chart. It's actually quite amazing. Once again, another great resource on the <laughs> AMC website. That we didn't website. know about. We had no idea about. <laughs> so it would be nice to have a look at that before I ever got onto the program or even was looking for jobs. I think um, it's a,
1: a good point as well, because most people that are asking us questions actually think that it's an either or situation. I mentioned this in our one of our podcasts as well on AMC2 when we were chatting about the experience with AMC2, that people think that this is just an either or. Like I'll go to Australia and I'll just do my AMC1 and I'll either do the clinical... T- clinical exam the amc2 i'll do a work-based assessment but it's not actually like that no it's like you find yourself in a lucky position to be able to do the wba it's not it's not as easy as just an either or it's not really a decision
0: yeah because um while the amc2 clinical exam is open to anyone who has done their amc1 exam and passed it the wba isn't open to anybody like it's not just open to people who's who's completed the AMC1 MCQ exam um, there's an extra criteria you have to have passed your AMC1 MCQ exam but you have to be working at a hospital that does and runs WBA program so this eligibility criteria, well, it's actually eligibility flowchart on the AMC um, website. We actually have it in front of us and we're going to take you through it. We're going to read it with you guys so you can see where you fall into this uh, flow chart and it's sort of a decision
1: tree on what your options are. Right. So, if we look at this flowchart provided by the AMC, which Caro is going to put in the link below for you to go through, let's start with the first part. So it starts with, are you working as a practicing doctor in an AMC accredited hospital? So that means if you your hospital is AMC accredited to run the WBA program, it either is a yes or no. Let's take you down the pathway of no, because that's probably what most people will find themselves in, considering that not all hospitals run the, a, the WBA program and it is a small fraction of hospitals that do run them. Yeah
0: and later in this podcast we're actually going to
1: mention some of the hospitals
0: that do run the program.
1: So let's say the answer to this is no. You are then considered ineligible for the workplace based assessment which makes sense. If you're at a hospital that doesn't offer the program you're not eligible in the current position that you find yourself in. Right. Your next option after that is that you may apply for the clinical exam and I think this is the the situation that most IMGs will find themselves in, you've sort of accepted any job that will take you, you move over and then you find yourself in a facility that doesn't have a work-based assessment and you would probably, at that stage, you would probably be wise to start moving towards the AMC2 clinical exam and start studying for that. Um, alternatively, if you were really set on the WBA, at this point you'd probably continue work at that hospital and then reconsider and maybe try and get a post at a WBA accredited facility. So let's take you down the yes pathway. So are you working as a practicing doctor in an AMC accredited hospital? If the answer is yes, the first step is talking to the WBA contact officer or coordinator at the accredited authority and provide an expression of interest. So this is really important because talking to the coordinator, it's important to understand that the coordinator is not the same as the clinical director or the person that interviewed you for the actual job and an expression of interest has to be submitted just like you would for any other role um, or extra you know, job expression of interest. So the first step is therefore to make contact with the coordinator of the program. Following this, your accredited authority, which is your hospital, or facility nominates your application with the AMC. So that coordinator will send in an application to the AMC, sort of stating your case and nominating you as applicable for the program. Once this happens, the AMC can then confirm that you are eligible. And this will probably require just doing a few more checks, making sure EPIC profiles all sorted and all your degrees are verified, etc. Once that has happened, the AMC will then send you a notification of whether you have been offered a place for their work-based assessment. If you have been offered a place for the work-based assessment, uh, then you would be able to complete a work-based assessment program at your hospital, but sometimes they wouldn't be able to offer you a place in the program. Then you would have to go down the route of doing AMC part two clinical exams. So Kara, I'm not actually sure When it says here you may not be offered a place in the work-based assessment Mm -hmm. and then you should probably go down the AMC to clinical exam route, why would you not be given a place? Yeah, I'm not actually sure why
0: because if you've met the criteria that the WBA coordinator needs you to meet to apply for the WBA program um, and then they submit that to the AMC, what what is exactly missing from your application that they turn around and say, no, you can't join the WBA program? I actually don't know of anyone that this has happened to them. Um, hey, if you're listening to this podcast and this has happened to you, please let uh, you know message us. I'd love to know why. But dare I say that they've just put that in there for the, the completeness of this flow chart. But um, very rarely will this happen.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't actually see the coordinates of the WBA going through all the effort of putting you through to the AMC for the proposal of doing the program if they think that you're not going to be approved. Exactly. Yeah. So they wouldn't put you through if there was not enough space on their program or if they thought that you were not, um, you know, good enough to enter the program. Yeah, agree. So let's just say you have been offered a place in the Work-Based Assessment Program. Congratulations. Then you will obviously complete the work-based performance assessment program, which is pretty standard. We'll go through that as well, but um, can differ from hospital to hospital regarding duration, etc. The next step would be: Have you successfully completed the work-based performance assessment program? So. If the answer is yes congratulations you will then receive your amc certificate which is the goal with that certificate you can then apply for general registration when you do the part two clinical exam at the end of that you also receive the amc certificate the amc certificate is basically the gold ticket to general registration if however you unfortunately do not pass the work based assessment you might have to reapply for the wba program which you can do i didn't know this so okay you can actually reapply and start all over again not sure if that means going to a different facility or at your Mm. same facility but you can reapply or again you can go down the amc2 pathway so you can see that wherever you fail in this pathway there's always the safety net of the amc2 to yes. go back to. So it's not like you can you can change your pathway if this doesn't suit you. Yep. Um which is good. But I hope that does clear up a little bit on who's eligible mm. and how this pathway actually works. I think there is a lot of confusion around it. There is. And I guess also um it's important to point
0: out that while this flow chart talks about if you're in a hospital working as a doctor in a WBA-accredited hospital, um, also factor in that if you are not working as a doctor but you have your AMC1, you're still eligible to sit the AMC2 even if you haven't got employment. Such so a good point. WBA is for people, for doctors who are employed. And AMC2 clinical exam is for doctors who are employed and who are not employed. So it opens
1: up a lot more options if you, you know, AMC2 gives you a lot more options to actually get your AMC certificate. Whereas with work-based pa- work assessment, mm. you not only have to be employed, but you have to be employed at one of the rare institutions that actually offer this program. Then you have to be able to be eligible for the program. They have to put you forward to the AMC. They have to approve you and then you only start the program. Yes. So it's not like you start your job and the next day you start the WBA assessment which program. Which is what everyone thinks. Everyone <laughs> thinks that. I thought <laughs> that. Yeah, but it's
0: not. I, I thought I thought the same as well. And I actually got caught out, which we're going to talk about a bit later, um, when you, we finally explain the structure and things like that. I got caught out on that scenario as well. So let's talk about the structure. What you need to know first is who runs the WBA program. So we said that the hospital runs it on behalf of AMC. But in the, in the hierarchy of that as well, there is a medical director who oversees the program and they will always be a doctor. And then there's the WBA coordinator, which is the administrational staff member. They are usually non-medical background, but they co- do all the groundwork. They do all the hard work, really. Um, they do. They work really hard. Yeah. They're organizing basically your timetable to attend all these assessments and who your assessors are. So, they're doing a
1: lot of the groundwork there. And this coordinator that is imperative to you? being able to complete all of these because you're actually in contact with that coordinator all the time. Yes,
0: yep. And this is important to know because you don't want to burn any bridges. So you need to know who's in your circle and who you essentially have to schmooze and make sure <laughs> you're on good terms with because you're going to be interacting quite a lot with them. How to play the game. You have to how to play the game. It's really, really important. All right. So what do you need to be accepted on the program? So we already mentioned that you need to be in a hospital that is... Um, accredited to run the WBA program. So when I say are they accredited to do the WBA program, let's not complicate it. What I mean is do they have a WBA program or not? It's that simple. Simple question. It's a simple question. So if your hospital does, then what do you need to be accepted on the program? So it's going to vary slightly depending on which hospital you're working at that has a WBA program. But for, I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of places will say that you need a 12-month contract to even apply for expression of interest. And what you also need is one end-of-term assessment that you have passed. So end-of-term assessments, so some hospitals, their term is three months long. Other, term, other hospitals, their term might be 10 weeks long. So that's the minimum it's going to take for you to get the end-of-term assessment. So if you have a 12-month contract, let's work this out, and you need an end-of-term assessment to even apply to your WBA coordinator to, you know, say I want to get on the program. So three months is taken off your 12 months. So what are we left with? We're left with nine months, and unfortunately you now have only nine months left in your contract,
1: so you haven't met that
0: eligibility.
1: Um, as well as the fact that it could be further delayed because – They could put your proposal into the AMC. It takes a while to get back to say that you've been approved. You might only start six months in. Yes. So the point we're trying to make is
0: that you need the 12-month contract that from the day you start the WBA program, not from the day you started your contract. Exactly, yeah.
1: So if you've gotten a 12-month contract initially and you're six months in, it's taken you six months to get all the admin sorted, then you actually need to approach your... Medical workforce or your clinical director, and try and apply for a contract extension to extend your contract so that it makes up the 12 months that you would be doing the WBA. Yeah, but factor in that they don't do this for a lot of people, and I'll tell you why.
0: If they're not quite sure about this IMG because they don't really know you yet, they're not going to do it for you. But if they have heard already really good things about you, And they want you to stay at their hospital, definitely, even if you've only been working there two months, but they've heard great things, they'll do it for you. So they pick and choose who can get an extension. So don't think that that's just a right. Like I'll go, I'll ask for an extension and I'll get it. That's not a given. It's a very, it actually happens a lot. It's really rare that it happens, but it's really only for like truly exceptional IMGs that somehow got really good word of mouth to the director of clinical training who's happy to vouch for them. I certainly wasn't one of them. It really was it. Um, so, I'll give, you, I'll give you my scenario that explains this. So, I, um, I started in May. So, most contracts start mid-January. But I started in May because I was replacing someone who had to resign um, quite suddenly. So, um, by the time my ARPA registration came in, I was May. And I was thinking, oh, that's all right. I'll start and then I'll immediately apply for the WBA program. So, when I started, I contacted the WBA coordinator at our hospital and they said, well, no, you can't because you need a 12-month contract. And because contracts run from January to January, I started in May, so my contract was going to last to the following January. So, that's not even a 12-month contract. So, what I had to do was actually wait to the following year um, and where I got an actual, well, I got, I got the contract at the end of the year for renewal and then I was able to provide it to the WA coordinator. So I spent all of May to January basically waiting to be eligible to get put on the WA, WBA program. So here I was thinking, especially because my circumstances, I, was, um, I wasn't planning to be at this hospital for too long. My partner, my husband isn't medical. So my husband was in another state where his job is um mostly his industry is there, and I thought that's okay. I'll just go to this hospital. I'll come for a year. I will get this WBA mm. done. I'll get my general registration. I'll be back where my the husband classic is. Classic
1: mistake. This is all IMGs make. Hundred percent. I will just go there for a year. I'll get it over and done with. I'll move away from my family. It'll just be a year. It yep. won't be. It'll it be two be. and a half years. It will not be
0: <laughs> exactly. So, but it's. You don't know what you don't know. Mm. So no one tells you that because a lot of your information is from other IMGs who have done it a certain way but like didn't realize that they probably met the eligibility and that's why they were able to do everything in a year. But that's very rare. So this is what happened to me. Now, like I said, it's going to vary from hospital to hospital. Some hospitals actually, their WBA requirement is that you have to be, you've had to be working with us for two years before you can even apply to our program. So that's you've got to be at that hospital for two years before that you even apply. Um, so factor that in. It may vary. The best advice we can give you in this sense is that if you're applying for a WBA hospital, and let's say you have the luxury of having two job offers on the table. What I would say is don't listen to whoever's interviewing you because they're going to say whatever they want to get you on board. Like you, when you go, oh, I'm interested in the WBA program, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can definitely do that for you. We can definitely get you on. But they're not the ones coordinating it. They're actually
1: not involved in it. They're not involved at all. At all. They don't know how many spots they are. They don't know what the requirements are.
0: And they don't know the wait period, the wait time. So, if you're like, for example, in my, like what you were um, in my situation, what you might want to do is go, well, um, could I get the email of the WBA coordinator? So, I would like to contact them to make an informed decision. I just want to know basics, like how long is it going to take to get on the program? What are the requirements? What does the wait period look like? So... Just
1: factor that in. I also want to just make it clear, when we talk about eligibility for the work-based assessment, when we're talking about these wait times and having your contract 12 months, the, these are things that the hospital needs for you to complete the work-based assessment or to get onto their program. This is not, you don't need extra accolades or extra, I suppose, experience or cv a cv that has all these extra accomplishments to be able to be eligible for the work base assessment if you have gotten a resident job or registrar job you are then a, a candidate for wba if your hospital has it yes it just depends on the waiting time um, and what your hospital stipulates for when you can start the program and what you have to do like how long you have to take to complete it but that that's just a timing thing you are once you've got a job as a resident, you are eligible for it. Yes, that's right.
0: Um, the second part that you need to have met is the provide evidence that you're working at the level of appointment. Um, this is usually in the form of a successful end-of-term assessment. So what that means is you need to provide them an end-of-term assessment that you've passed. And so we in our previous podcast, we talked about end-of-term assessments and this is a, a nationwide thing. It's not specific to certain states. And there's a certain level that you have to pass and a criteria to say that you're at the standard. So if for example, you failed in one area and you got below a three, then you're not up to standard. So then you cannot provide that as evidence that you're at working at the level of your appointment. So that's really important. The other thing you have to provide is evidence of your English language proficiency. That's pretty easy because most of the IMGs would have done the English exam. So, it's just really a copy of that certificate. Um, You also need to provide evidence of your limited registration with APRA. So, obviously, if you're doing the WBA program, you only have limited registration because you wouldn't have done the AMC 2 and passed it.
1: Also, just to jump in, for the English exam you would need to make sure that it's still valid. Remember, these exams only last two years, um, three years if it's for PR, but most of them just last two years for um, APRA purposes or AMC purposes. So if, if you've been working for two years or three years and then you've only gotten onto the program, you'd need to redo it. Yes. Unfortunately. Very
0: good point. Very good point. Um, And then lastly, you need to provide evidence of your primary source verification. So it's really just your EPIC account. So those things are easy because it's just stuff that already exists and you would have already given it to APRA. You just now need to give it to the WBA coordinator. So that's it. Another thing you need to know is that you're not permitted to occupy a position on the AMC clinical examination waiting list um, while you're taking the WBA.
1: I actually didn't know this. And I I would think that you would be allowed to Given that if something happens with your WBA, you could fall back on your AMC. So, I thought you could put yourself on the waiting list in the meantime. I know it probably doesn't make sense because it's so costly. You've paid so much for the WBA. So, why would you also pay to be on the waiting list for AMC too? But I I really didn't know this. I didn't know that you couldn't do that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny because we always think like AMC love to make money. So... They why, do. <laughs> why would they say, yeah, I know, <laughs> well, they do. But so why would they say no to more money, no. more easy money? I'm so not dumb. sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I guess- If I was I guess, them, I would be like, put in five applications. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it's more like the coordinating on their end. If someone's on a wait list and they contact them, they're like, oh no, hmm. I'm in the WBA program. And then they have to go to someone else on the wait
1: list. I don't know, maybe it's from that perspective. And I think these these two programs sort of run parallel to each other. They're basically the same means to the same end. So, I suppose it is really difficult logistically if you're on both. You have to be on sort of one of the pathways. Yeah. They do the same thing. Yeah. Um,
0: so, how long does it take to complete your WBA? Um, the WBA coordinator will create a basically a spreadsheet of when your assessments are and when they want you to do those assessments each month. So they might give you, so for residents, they generally say 12 months and for registrars, they say six months. You'll get a timetable that will be spread over 12 months. That doesn't mean that you can do the assessments whenever you feel like it. For example, some people are like, I'll just rush it and get it done all in three months. You actually can't do that. You need to follow the timetable because what that does is actually overload the assessors that when they should have been getting only four WBA assessments um, that month to assess, they now got 12. And yep. because a lot of people just decided, I want to rush through it because I want to get out of this state. I want to go back to my, my family, wherever they're located. So you really have to follow the
1: timetable. They won't submit it for you and say you finish it all in two months, which if you really put your mind to it, you probably could. Oh yeah. But um, they won't submit it for you. You actually They want you to do it over the period because you have to remember the assessors are also... A lot of them are full time clinicians or full time consultants. So they can't just be doing, I mean, it's a full time job if they were to do like 12 WBAs a, a month.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the clinical areas that WBA assesses. So it's gonna assess you in adult medicine, in adult surgery, in women's health, so obstetrics and gynecologists, in pediatrics, in psychiatry, and in emergency medicine. So there are gonna be four mandatory assessment tools. Um, And what that is, is just there's going to be four types of ways to assess you. So there's something called a mini clinical evaluation exercise, which is a mini CEX. Now, that can be either a history taking assessment or a physical examination assessment. And these will be with real patients and your assessor will be standing right there. The second one will be a case-based discussion. And what this is, is that you will pick up three cases and um, cases that you saw you spoke to the patient you followed up their their progress and you should write these out and then you sit with your assessor they pick one of the three cases and then you discuss it with them so you present it to them they'll ask you a whole bunch of questions around what it what it was and you know they, they can really go anywhere with that they'll just test your knowledge on it and try to understand why you did what you did when you spoke to them. Why did you ask this question? What were you thinking when, you, when they, the patient responded with this? What's your differentials in your mind at the time? So they just, it's really just a conversation. Yeah, a little
1: discussion. And I think with the mini CEX, the name might confuse some people, but basically what it is is just a mini OSCE. It's like a clinical OSCE. Um, what, what we would have called OSCEs in yep. South Africa. So um, it's just a little bedside examination assessment.
0: And the third thing that they're going to use for assessment is something called an ITA, in-training assessment. What this is, it's very similar to the end-of-term assessments, almost identical, but it's just used for the WA purpose. So if in that year your clinical rotations, let's say you did one rotation in emergency medicine, one rotation in pediatrics, one rotation in a specialty of surgery, one rotation in cardiology – you would take, just like you would with your end-of-term assessment, you would take your ITA um, and give it to your uh, your supervisor for that rotation and then they fill it out and you need to pass that just like you pass your end-of-term assessment.
1: Exactly. I would usually hand them in at the same time to the same supervisor. It's annoying for them because it is a lot of the same questions and then the one goes to the hospital and the one, your ITA, goes to the work-based assessment
0: yep. coordinator. Then the fourth that they're going to assess is something called a 360 degree assessment so you get one at the start of your wba and then you get one at the end and what this is it's just a piece of paper they ask you to list um people that you've worked with in this hospital so it can be doctors it can be nurses it can be allied health and this is really important they actually don't want you to put all doctors it actually has to be a mix of
1: people Five doctors, five nurses, and allied health, I think.
0: Yeah, and then what they do is you hand that in, and then they will contact those people and say that, um, would you like to provide anonymous feedback? And so that's all it is. And you have to get really good positive feedback. If you get something extremely negative, you fail.
1: So you fail your whole WBA just based on this. And it's very strategic as well because you are the one giving the names to the coordinator to approach to evaluate you so you have control over who is going to give you this feedback so it's very important that you think very carefully about who will give you the fair most fair feedback yeah
0: and just to let you know that the people that have failed their wba generally have failed here i can't believe that i know it it doesn't make sense because you're the one listing the names so obviously you wouldn't list a name that you know is going to give you bad feedback but here's the thing unfortunately the hospital is a bit of a ruthless environment you think someone is your friend you think someone likes you um and especially if they give you compliments if they're always supporting you behind the scenes but it's this beauty of an anonymous feedback that guess what, <laughs> I can say whatever I want and it's never going to get back to this person. And unfortunately, that is lacking a bit of integrity there, but it does happen. Mm. So you have no idea that this person actually doesn't like you, doesn't think you should be a doctor, and you put them down and they write something negative.
1: Yeah, that is that is that that is always a risk. That's very snakish yeah. but it is always a risk. I would say um, to avoid that probably put people that you think are very professional when they work, even if it's younger people or registrars, they should be quite professional in how they conduct themselves. Like it shouldn't be just someone that you're a friend with. Yeah. It should be someone that you've actually worked with on a professional level that you feel respects you as a professional clinically.
0: Yeah. And what I would say, the biggest tip I have in this area, and it's a tip that I actually give any IMG starting out, is that you need to work the room. You need to get people to like you. If you think I'm fine, once I get my foot in the door, I'll be fine, all my problems go away. I've said this so many times, your problems have just started. They're actually new problems. And this environment has the potential to make your career, or guess what, completely break it and take away everything from you. So all that hard work that you put into the AMC One, all that hard work and the money to find a job, they, they could they could take it all. So what you need to do is when you start working, you need to build a network and not just doctors. You need to make sure you're friends with so many people in the hospital. For me, um, I won't say that it was something I consciously did because I feel like that's just my nature anyway. Like, I do tend to, like, get to know people. Um, I like speaking to people from all walks of life. I'm not – like, I don't just have doctor friends. I have nursing friends. Like, even even at work, one of the cleaners who sees me always gives me a hug. That's just – I just, like – I know who that is. D- yeah, she's got the same name as me. <laughs> yes. yes. She, she always hugs she, me she, too. Yeah, So <laughs> – so she's lovely, love but like, that's just who I am as well. Um, you know, and that's really important because it's times like this that you're actually going to need those people.
1: And you don't have to be good. You don't have to be an excellent doctor to get this right. You no. just have to work hard and do your job. Like do a good job and be courteous to people, be respectful of people, be inclusive. Yeah, it really is just soft skills and do you
0: know what goes a long way like when you come when you come to work on a monday and you haven't seen you know y- y- the co-workers you haven't seen nursing staff you haven't seen the ward clerk all weekend and you're like hey how are you how, how was your weekend what did you get up to or i'm heading out i'm just going to quickly grab a cup of coffee would you like one and they're like, oh, no, 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 it's all right. I'm like, no, 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 I insist. Let me get you a cup of coffee. Do you know how cups of coffee I have bought people, um, nursing staff? And they just love that. It's that mm. gesture of like just thinking of them. And that has gotten me a long way, a long way. But just not even with this, with favours. Because guess what? Like the local doctors who are overworked and overburdened by IMGs might not give you the right information. But when I ask nursing staff, like, Oh um can you show me where this is or can you show me this they're like yeah yeah sure no worries come with me they're so helpful because I've built that friendship I've built that network so when I can't find a form the ward clerk will go out of their way for me to to help me not only find it but show me where the supply is so that next time it runs out I can just get it myself like people go above and beyond for you when you're good to them and so that's what I'm saying to people like This is the best thing you can do is not just make friends with the doctors. You need to
1: make friends with every person, every division in the hospital. My mom always says um, you should always treat people how you want to be treated. And I think that's also, that's so true. If you want to be respected in the hospital, you treat everyone in the hospital with respect. Everyone there is a working professional in their own right. I think the worst thing can be to come to your 360 degree assessment form and have no names of any nurses that you've bonded with. Sure, you'll have doctors because you would have always worked under a consultant or worked closely with a doctor by force. But it really takes you going out of your way to build a relationship with five nurses that you feel know you well enough to be able to evaluate you yes. for your general registration. It's a huge thing. So you that is something that you don't just get from working. You actually need to work on those relationships. So you don't want to get there and realize you actually have no one to write down. Yes, very
0: important. No one in your core, no, no one, one, one you can trust.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And this is a this is just a big factor in succeeding and thriving in your medical career is is your network. Nec- network. It's your network. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, so let's talk about the um, mini CX assessments so there are going to be a total of 12 assessments so generally there's like two in each area so two in adult medicine two in adult surgery two in women's health two in sh- um, pediatrics and two in psychiatry and two in emergency medicine so for example the two in adult medicine you might have one is a physical examination one is history taking
1: and it's not a full ask it would be you going to the bedside with the patient and they will say examine the cardiovascular system Yes, And you'll examine and often they don't ask you a lot afterwards, but some people choose to ask you a lot afterwards. It just depends what kind of assessment you get, but you just have to make sure that you are at the level of a graduate in Australia or an intern level in Australia. Yes, that's right.
0: And with the case based discussions, you're required to have eight of those. So it will be across all six um areas so like adult medicine adult surgery women's health pediatrics mental health and emergency medicine and of course um, because there's six of those there might be some that have two for each yep yep and then the in training assessment we mentioned is like the end of term assessments and then the 360 assessment okay so what's it gonna take to pass the WBA well it's actually more generous than I thought so In order to pass, out of the 12 mini-CXs, you need to have passed nine. And then out of the eight CBDs, you needed to pass six. And then you definitely need to pass four out of the four in-training assessments. And you needed to pass both 360-degree assessments. So it's really the um, mini-CX and the case-based discussions that there's leeway and no leeway on the other two.
1: What I find interesting about how they assess this is it's quite fair. Because if you think about it, the must-haves that you have to pass are the 360s and your in-training assessments. That means your general trend as a working doctor in that facility will be evaluated. Whereas if you stuff up an assessment on a bad day, you're not going to be penalized for that. You can fail three and then fail another two yep. CBDs. So I think that's quite generous. I think that's part of the success of the WBA. Yeah, And you it's know what, Fair. it's
0: kind of a reflection of what we've been telling the IMGs, even like when it comes to their interview skills, is that you don't need to know everything in medicine to, to pass an interview or to um, show the director of clinical training that you're, you're fine, you're a safe IMG. You actually just need to have a good personality on you.
1: And in this day and age, no one cares if you can pour out facts about medicine. No. We can all do that on our phones. Yes. We all use apps all day. We don't have to remember all the pharmacology or all the basic sciences to be able to get jobs and to do well in these assessments. You actually need to be a solid worker and a good person and good to work with. Yes. Yeah, and
0: the elements that make you good to work with is someone who has insight. Like, you know where your flaws are, you know where your strengths are, you ask for help and you're really kind to everyone, you're really respectful, you work in a team. These are the things that they want and that's what the WBA is telling you. It's exactly. Based, based on their It's passing basically standards. saying,
1: if you're a nice person and good to work with, you'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not a good clinician and you fail so many of your assessments, you'll still pass. Yes, yeah. So it, it, it I think it's quite a fair... It's definitely gives you an edge on the AMC two whereby it, you are just hanging on how well you do on the assessments on that day. Yes. This is spread, not only spread over a couple of days, months, but you also have the added benefit of these ongoing trends of how you're working, being evaluated, not just how you do on one day.
0: Yeah. And the difference is with the AMC clinical, it's about like the medical knowledge, like you could be the nicest person there that day um oh, that's
1: but not what it's about also though your your interaction with the patient even if you're talking a whole lot of nonsense i've been told your interaction with the patient is is also very important so you will need these skills even if you do the amc2 yeah you will need to know how to handle yourself you know with these um the simulated patients that you get given because they um they actually ask the simulated patients after the assessments how did that doctor make you feel yeah very important yes Really important. You can give them all the knowledge, make the patient feel really bad about themselves or not carry yourself well.
0: Okay, now let's get to the good bit. Which hospitals actually have the WBA program? I didn't know this myself, but the AMC website lists them all. So we've got a link in the caption of this video and it will take you straight there and you can actually have a look yourself. But overall, this is what I can tell you. New South Wales regional areas tend to have most of the WBA programs. And then metropolitan New South Wales doesn't. Similar with um, Melbourne. Like Melbourne, Monash does. That's obviously metropolitan. But then the regional one, um, they do have it, just one. So, there's actually only two in Melbourne. So, there isn't very much. Tasmania, they're all WBA hospitals um south australia one is regional and one is very very new to the game and that's only 20 minutes away from the city so that's still kind of metropolitan i I consider it anyway um and then the rest is mostly yeah mostly regional um regional new south wales there is a few in queensland and a few in western australia
1: what i can say is when i looked at this list Based on how big Australia is and how many hospitals and facilities are around, there's actually very few on that list. Yes. So we're actually,
0: because we both did WBA and that wasn't intentional. That was just the first job we got offered was a hospital WBA. We should be like really counting our lucky really stars. Really thankful. That we
1: ended up in a WBA hospital because. I really am. I'm, I'm happy I did that assessment. I think it was really good. But I see how rare it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so we we were definitely one of the lucky ones. So one of our um one of our followers on our socials asked a really good question, which was, "What else do you need to be like the right candidate to get a job in a hospital that has WBA?" And my answer was that it's absolutely no different what the requirements are for the right candidate to get a job, whether it's in a non-WBA hospital or in a WBA hospital is exactly the same. Like there is no difference whatsoever. You essentially need to land a residential registrar job. That's all you need to do is just get a job in general in a hospital that has WBA. You don't need any extra skills or anything like that. But what I would say is that, as I mentioned, a lot of these WBA hospitals are regional. So, What do regional hospitals want more than metropolitan hospitals? They want longevity of the doctor. So that means like when you go and, you know, you give them sort of the belief that you're going to be at that hospital for a couple of years, not just like, oh, I'm here for 12 months, I'm in and out because metropolitan hospitals – they don't care if you do that because applications, they're always full. Mm. They're always full. Where regional they don't ho- need you. They don't need you. So if you want to go, you in, in after a year, they can just replace you like that. Um, but regional hospitals, not so much. So factor that into your job interview that these regional hospitals that have WBA want someone
1: in there that's going to be there for a few years. So Yeah, they
0: don't want to feel used and abused. No. Like so you you're
1: coming there for the WBA and then just leaving.
0: Yeah, so like you can admit that what attracted you to this hospital was WBA, but don't let that be the only thing you say. Like what I would suggest is going, "Well, actually I um you know really want to do the WA program and I know this hospital has it, but I also like the fact that this hospital is regional. You know, a lot of my friends who are IMGs really highly recommend regional hospitals because most IMGs work in these hospitals. It's a really supportive environment. It's also a little bit smaller, so you know, I can make friends easier. The, the sense of community, it will be easier. So there's lots of actually, and I actually believe this. I'm not just saying it. There's actually a lot of um, bonus to working in regional hospitals versus a metropolitan hospital, especially for IMGs.
1: Definitely for IMGs. It's, it, it's definitely, a, I would say, a, a comfortable, safe environment to start in.
0: Yeah. So you really want to give them the idea that like you're you're there to, for the long run. And you'd love to stay there and really build your foundation as an IMG and upskill in a nice supportive environment and you think this is the place to do it. So, just just factor in. It's more just how you're going to answer a few in- interview questions. But for the most part, it's the same candidate, mm. the same you know same person. So, another question which I thought was really, really good and I just didn't think about it until one of our followers asked was, um, how does one apply for a WBA job? So specifically, they're asking when they look at jobs listed, in, you know, on the um, campaigns, e- campaigns or the state, the state health website. Um, do they specifically say it's a WBA position? Like for example, senior RMO WBA position. The answer is no. They are just going to advertise the position. You, it's in it's you that needs to know that that was a WBA hospital. And by that, how do you know? Is by going to the link that we provide in this caption and looking at the names of the WBA hospitals. So I'll give you an example here. So I'm looking at this um, link and it says that the Hunter New England local district health, um, so Newcastle, Armidale, Tamworth, those hospitals have WBA. So, if I was in New, Newcastle's in New South Wales. So, if I was in the New South Wales state health website and I saw a senior RMO position come up in a Newcastle hospital, automatically that's a WBA hospital. Yep. So, exactly. I would go, wow, okay, if I get that senior RMO position, once I get my foot in the door in that Newcastle hospital, then I can go ahead and... Um, put my expression of interest for a wba position so that's how you hunt for a wba position you're if you're looking for the words wba written on Mm -hmm. it it won't be there won't be there okay so that's how you hunt for one
1: i wish i had known this yeah
0: well i I honestly i wish i've known this as well not that like it changed anything for me because i just really wanted my foot in the door i didn't care Mm where it was if it was a hospital without wba whatever Me i would have so, figured it out later i would have just got taken the job got my foot in the door and figure it out later and that's what i recommend to everybody mm. because as imgs um for your first job you don't really have the luxury of picking and choosing where you work Exactly. So so you just want your foot in the door. That is the goal. That's goal number
1: one. And then once you get the foot in the door, you've got lots of other goals
0: you need to achieve. And I
1: and I think while using this list to hunt for WBA is a gr- it's it's a great tactic. I think if you really dead set on WBA, this is a great way to know which places offer it and the right positions to go for. But it does limit your job search substantially to like 10% of the jobs that are That's out there. That's right, yes. So, I would go for the whole spectrum of jobs and, you know, throw in the WBA ones as well um, and it would just be luck of the draw.
0: Yes, 100%. So, you want to just explore all options, apply for everything and then see what's put on the table and then make a decision. Now, there is another way to get on the WBA program if you're not in a hospital that has WBA. So, this is what, I would recommend and this is for the person that um, has passed their AMC 1 exam they've passed their English exam they've received a job offer at a hospital that doesn't have WBA that's fine they take the job but they really want to work in a hospital that has WBA because they don't want to do the AMC 2 clinical exam or they've attempted the AMC 2 clinical exam and have failed this is what you should do get 12 months experience as an IMG in that hospital that doesn't have WBA and then start applying to the hospitals that do have WBA. Because what you can do, you just move after 12 months and the hospitals that have WBA, as I mentioned, they're mostly regional. So they are mostly um, have IMGs in their hospital. So if you're an IMG with already Australian clinical experience, you're put up the top. You're so attractive to them. You're so attractive to them because a lot of the times they're hiring IMGs with absolutely no Australian clinical experience. So if you've got some, you're already at the top of the list. You're already an asset to them. You already know what's
1: going on in the system. Whereas they would definitely hire you over somebody that's just entering the country where they have to spend so much time orientating that person. Yeah, and also from a
0: paperwork perspective, because remember, administration people hate paperwork. So if you already have limited registration because you're working in an Australian hospital, in order to come over to the other hospital that has WBA program, all they need to do is submit a change of circumstance form to opera and that form gets approved like within four weeks exactly so within four weeks you can go to the new hospital so for the uh, for the hospital that has WBA, the administration side paperwork is super easy so that's attractive from that point of view as well so that's what i would do you don't have to commit to the hospital that you're in for the for like the next three years um just a hot one year of experience and move on.
1: Most of the contracts would mm. be one year anyway.
0: Oh, some places actually offer two year contracts now, oh, nice. but just because you signed the two year contract doesn't mean you have to complete it. You just need to give four weeks notice or whatever specified in your contract. Like you're not, you're not bound but to these people exactly. for the rest of your life. Even if you signed a two week contract, um, people get out of their contracts in any industry in Australia at any point in time, you just need to provide the what's agreed in the contract, the, the notice period. So, if it's three weeks notice that was agreed on, you've got to give three weeks notice. If it's four weeks, it's four weeks. So, just factor that in. That's how I would do it if you're in that situation. So, point being, get your foot in the door and we can work out the rest later. Okay, so let's talk about our experience um, completing the WBA program. Um, so both Sasha and I work in a WBA hospital and that was the decision we made to us to do the WA program my experience was really really positive I was so nervous to go to my first assessment because I just didn't really know what to expect but everyone was telling me oh it's fine like I didn't even bother preparing it's not a problem just go and that's not me um and you know what i prepared especially with my case-based discussions i prepared and i prepared very well and i put a very formal professional presentation do you know what my assessment assessor said he goes already when you put your paperwork down on the table i already knew i was going to pass you because the level of professionalism professionalism that you presented already told me that you should be here you should be working here and i was like actually that's a really good point um and it just
1: shows you as well the standard of some of the people completing these assessments that don't even put time into their case-based discussion presentations. That's crazy, that right? That don't print out proper formal... Um, documents to give them to read over is crazy
0: yeah and um like I had one copy for me one copy for him both stapled ready oh, to I go. didn't have that I had one copy oh see <laughs> shocking amateur <laughs> amateur I know who has
1: one copy to share between
0: I'm like do you really want to sit that close to your assessor and, and breathe over the
1: same copy well what I did is I gave them the copy and then when I had to present oh, Lord. I'd be like <laughs> please can you give me my copy oh back? no you did not <laughs> okay i still passed yeah i know but like no <laughs> no come that on was th- on my part that was wrong if i had to do it again and you know every time i did that i was like i should really print like more than
0: one copy so you kept telling yourself <laughs> i should really print more than one copy but you never did okay oh, no. wow um Yes, definitely just put some effort into it. But this is the other thing. It's like really important to trust your intuition because I had people tell me, oh, you'll be fine. Like I didn't even print anything. I just never, came with my written notes. Never and, listened to that. And my gut instinct was like, "That well, that's not me. That's not how I operate anyway. Mm. And luckily I didn't listen to it. But that's really important is, um, look, as I'm G's, we always try to give each other the best information. But unfortunately, sometimes we get the wrong information handed down.
1: That was a classic case of... The wrong information given to me. I can say for the mini CXs, I probably didn't prepare. Like I, that those are the ones because, because you don't know what you're going to get. Um, there were some of the rotation, some of the assessments like PEDS or ONG where I actually hadn't worked in those kind of specialties for a long time or since my internship. So those are the ones I would probably think more about how to structure the examination. But the other ones would be, you know, like cardio, resp, gastro, like you do that. or or like, you know, almost every day. So those ones I didn't really prepare for. But the case-based discussions, you have so much opportunity to prepare, read up ahead of time, and sort of preempt answers to questions you know that they're probably going to ask you to do really well in it. Because I feel the case-based discussions for me were much harder than the clinical exams.
0: Oh, see, I was the other way around. But then again, you have more clinical experience than I do. And also, I just... I get nervous, like it's, I'm not my, this is our thing, like as much as it's um, more natural than the AMC2 clinical exam, it just came down to my personality. I get nervous when, you know, I still have like very bad imposter syndrome and I get really Who nervous. Who doesn't? Oh, my, but mine's just like, I feel like mine's just over the top ridiculous to the point that I just don't even perform the way I normally do. Like if my assessor wasn't in the room and how I was with an actual patient, just me and the patient, I didn't perform to that standard and it's just because I was so in my head and I was so nervous. So, I was quite the opposite. Like, I enjoyed the case-based discussions because I could be prepared mm. and I sort of like treated it like I treat interviews and like went in with this persona and, you know, like really got out of my head. But the physical examination, so the mini mm, CXs, interesting. I I just wasn't myself at
1: all. See, I don't like having – a case and then having someone just fire questions at you, you know, for half an hour straight. I don't like that. I like, I rather just do the examination and show them. But I think this also comes down, like, I think my spirit with OSCEs and examinations has been broken from South African, like, uh, final year exams when we were made students. Oh my god. Did we do so many Oskies? Like we just did them all the time. So I think that's probably also another reason. I'm desensitized. I don't even get nervous anymore. I'm like, where the patient at? (laughs) You were the patient at. Here it is. Come on. Undress. Hurry up.
0: Um yeah, it's interesting. But look, the whole experience of WBA was really good. Um I felt like it was doable because obviously when you're working full time it's very hard to like go home and study for the amc2 clinical exam like i don't think i could have done it with the wa i actually still studied um for it and prepared very well but like at least it was doable because i don't think it required the same amount of preparation time like the amc2 exam
1: yeah i agree with that i i i had a good experience as well but overall i didn't like how drawn out it was like i i hate i think in some ways i probably would have like to have done the amc2 and had it over and done with because that's just how i am i would have preferred to have just studied hard for three to six months and done the exam passed, and got it over and done with but because the amc2 failure rate is so high mm. i can't i couldn't really say that that wouldn't happen that would happen to me that i would probably you know there'd be a high chance that i would have to do it again yeah so i'm glad i did the wba but i i often don't really opt for assessments that go over just a long time like this where you have you know continuous assessments you know for a month yeah because it's kind of always something in the back of your mind always like when is my next assessment when is my next assessment but um it has obviously tons of positives as well but that's just one of the things i think i found a little bit off with it
0: see that's interesting because i thought look i'm working so i'm not spending any extra time trying to do this assessment because either way i'm working i'm working under this contract at this hospital Mm. And it doesn't add any extra time to that contract. Hmm. So that's the way I saw it. It's like killing two birds with one stone. I kind of saw it like an it's kind of efficient in that way. I work, I do hmm. my job, and then I go off and do like two
1: assessments a month
0: and get this over and done with eventually.
1: I think, I reckon you're probably a lot more organized than me just based on what i know about you yeah and what i know about <laughs> me <laughs> this is true like i can imagine you were very very um organized whereas like i would be like do one this month and be like oh no i've only done one this month and then the next month have to like beg assesses, to yeah. <laughs> do my exams and then get there and only have like one set of um case basis. Oh, you're kidding. Oh my gosh.
0: No, <laughs> I definitely, definitely was uh, very I'm actually pretty proud of
1: myself that I passed when I actually relived this. Yeah, no, I, no. I wouldn't recommend. Unless it must have been very impressive.
0: <laughs> I would not recommend doing what you did. Like stick to what they want from you and just do it well. Do the Caroline method. Yes, definitely. Because you just, you never know the assessor you're going to get and what they're looking for. So like, for example, that what I just said earlier, that, that the fact that I put that piece of paper down in front of my assessor and he said to me at the end, like, I already knew I was going to pass you when you put that piece of paper down in front of me because it just showed me the type of person you are and the effort that you put into things. And I was like, wow,
1: okay. So, see how he thought that was important? But even even besides putting your paper down… I think they already know they're going to pass you when you walk into that door and say, "Hi, I'm Sasha. I'm here. I'm one of the residents doing a w- the WBA program. Um, I have an assessment with you today on history taking. Nice to meet you. Um, you know,
0: that's true. Like that's true. Introduce Best yourself well,
1: and you know, say what you're going to do. No, s- make it sound like you know what you're talking about. You've prepared for the assessment. Introduce yourself. You know."
0: Yeah, that's actually very, very true. Um, just come
1: there and say, oh, my assessment's with you right now. And just factor in as
0: well, because um, this did happen to me, um, that some of these assessors, they're consultants and some of them are actually the people that decide who they take on to training in their specialty program. So, one of my assessments was with the um, the head of you know BPT, so General Physician Training, and when I finished one of my assessments with him he, and he asked me, it was a CBD and he asked me heaps of questions. It's not like I knew all the answers, but I had a I had an approach and I kind of would answer in a certain way. Like this is what I'd be thinking, but I genuinely don't know. So what I would do in this scenario, I would jump on ETG, my guidelines, and I would mm. look at the guidelines and refresh my memory and see if I've missed anything. And he just loved the fact that I always had a backup like a plan. Because you're always safe. I'm always safe. And he turns around in the assessment, he's like, okay, now the assessment's over. I'm going to pass you. What do you want to do? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, what do you want to do with your specialty? What what areas are you interested in? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, and he's like, okay. Do you want to do BPT? Because if you do, I, I I will I will endorse you. So that I was like, what? Like, I didn't expect him to say that. But just based off this assessment, he likes my approach. So like, just factor in. I would research the person who's going to assess you because sometimes you see a name you don't know who they are but like research them highly and also like you kind of if you research them you might know like oh they're in their their area of interest is this because he's actually a respiratory physician so i thought he's going to i i brought him a, a respiratory case based discussion <laughs> and i was like i wonder if he's going to pick Do You that. see how she plays the game And he did he actually did pick it because he kno- that's what he knows best. So, he's going to drill me on questions. So... um, Do you see how this girl plays the game, yeah, though? Yeah, I play the game pretty well. <laughs> that's
1: what I was saying. You're going to be a couple of steps ahead of these people. But I must admit, as well, for all of my assessments, I researched them on APRA to yeah. see, like, first of all, what their specialties are in or if they've dual trained or something like that. And then I also looked at, like, how far post-grad they are like if they're a young consultant or older consultant and which country they got their degree from because maybe they're an img so then i know that they've also been through something similar and there were also a lot of um assessments that i did where people would say like for peds they'd be oh so are you coming back are you coming to work in peds like after the assessment i'm like "Mm -hmm, no i have (laughs) never ever worked in peds but just because you carry yourself well yes like just because you show them not that you know everything, but you have potential and promise. Yes. And you'll handle anything that comes at you because you've you've treated it so professionally. Yes. So it is a really great networking strategy as well. That's a good point. Yeah.
0: So like it's it's a it's an opportunity to um, you know, present yourself and shine in front of these consultants that you may never work with that Ooh. will have to say, Who is this person that's applying for our training programme that wants endorsement? Nah don't know them
1: so just factor that in that wba can open other doors that you don't even realize but But what it gives it can also take away oh yes if you do not handle yourself well yes then it it can do the complete opposite you've done a gen surge assessment with the head of surgery and you didn't prepare and you didn't handle yourself well and when you put in your application for training what do you think they're going to say i remember him yeah
0: i remember her And it actually starts not with your assessment. It starts when you go to contact them to make an assessment time. Very good point. You get these assessors and I'll give you an example. So let's say my surgery CBD is with, um, I'm going to just create a name here, Dr. John Smith. I don't really know who that is. If you don't look them up, you completely miss the fact that guess what? They're the head of surgery in your hospital. And You contact them and you're quite rude in email. And guess what? They never really respond after the first email. That's the difficulty part of WBA because you've got to hunt these assessors down. That's probably the worst part. That's the worst part that you're like, I need to do it. I'm scheduled to do this assessment in the month of July. I've been contacting you for six weeks and you're not responding. I've called. I've sent an email. I've spoken to your administration staff. I've I've chased you down the
1: wards and I still can't get a hold of you. This is why so many of my assessments were delayed. I hate hounding people like that. Yeah,
0: so do I. And so there's... actually a fine line you don't want to hound them but you also need to get a hold of them to do your assessment but it, this is where it starts where they already get an impression of you some people like for example will send an email and 12 hours later they send another email and it's really <laughs> forceful on the other <laughs> end yes. i've experienced this myself and it's really forceful and you're like whoa it hasn't even been 24 to 48 well, these, hours these Give people me a chance. are full-time consultants they are so um Your WBA is actually the last thing on their mind. Oh, 100%. 100%. So, it really starts there how you contact them and how professional you are with your contact and how even you word yourself, whether it's email, text message, leaving a voicemail. That's where they get their impression of you. And if already you like annoyed them and then by the time you go to, you know, do your assessment, they're probably going to be harder on you than what Hmm. they should be because they just feel like you're unprofessional in other areas.
1: On the flip side, though, it is important to remember that they do get paid for these roles. This is a paid job for them. So they do need to obviously work with you as well to make a date. Yeah. But obviously, yes, don't hound anyone yeah. that you want to but make you know the pay, on. the
0: pay per hour for this is not great. Is it not? It's not.
1: What no. do, why bother then? Why do they bother?
0: <laughs> because why they bother is because they provide a service to the hospital to have WBA and they know that if they don't, participate in it, the hospital loses out and the hospital becomes understaffed Mm. because WBA is a huge incentive to bring you know, bring doctors to the hospital to work and stay there. So Mm. good Samaritan. Yeah, it is a bit of a good Samaritan. So you just gotta be really careful. Um it's interesting because like recently I had a conversation with the newly appointed head of the WBA. So the medical director of one WBA program in one of the states and the one of the WBA candidates didn't know that this person was newly appointed, so they just thought they were talking to just.
1: Oh, she's an assessor. Or he's an assessor.
0: So she's an. She was an assessor, and then she became the medical director of a WBA program. So she was new. She was appointed. Good for newly her. appointed. It was awesome, but um, the person doing their WBA had no idea that now they're the medical director. So she's still conducting assessments, and um, they were quite rude in their their contact with her because she's very busy and she may have not responded whatever to an email as quickly as they would like and they followed up with another email and they were quite rude and i this is what i mean like you gotta be careful now they're just rude to the medical director who's going to sign off on all their wba assessments
1: why would you be rude to anyone that's going to assess you though i don't know but some people do Mm. you know if you're not sure about how you conduct yourself in an email if you're not sure that you come across if you're coming across too pushy or rude maybe have a friend or colleague read your email before you send it and just make sure that you're not being too much
0: yeah yeah if you don't
1: have a good gauge for yourself
0: yeah that's really important um but i feel like also some people just don't know that some like not not saying that if they're administration staff you should speak rudely to them you shouldn't speak rudely to anybody i don't care who they are or who you think they are Everyone should be treated exactly the same. But I think that does play a factor in that they don't realise who they're talking to. So... That's the thing with WBA. You've got to be I'm with everything actually in the hospital. I always say, got to be a couple of steps ahead of everybody. So factor in that when you're sending this email, be a couple steps ahead. You don't know who you're really speaking to on the other end. Is it the medical director of the WBA program? Is it the head of BBT? Is it the head of the ED and you're interested in, you know, joining the ED specialty program? Always factor in that you never know who you're speaking to. You could be speaking to the wife or husband of the head of ED program who's going to discuss that they got this horrible and rude email today. So this is really important when it comes to WBA. Um, Like just remind yourself that it's all about how you present yourself. So true. Such good words
1: of wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) I told you, I'm very (laughs) life smart and book dumb. (laughs) We've gone straight into a TED talk (laughs) now. (laughs) but it's
0: true it's true and i think like um
1: this is this
0: is the stuff you need to teach people it's not like oh this is medicine study this and do this you (laughs) actually need to especially with img because img hospital life is just all about survival it really (laughs) is until you get your general registration you're trying to survive the environment and most people
1: do not want you to succeed. It's so sad, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's just the nature of medicine. I was actually thinking the other day we were chatting. I was chatting to a colleague, and we were saying it's so sad that medicine's gotten this way. Like it's very cutthroat. Yes, and it's just it's. I I thought you know, coming to Australia, it would be totally different. Same. Yeah. Same vibe. It's like internationally, just the same thing. Yeah. Doctors are cutthroat. People step on each other to get ahead. Yeah. I don't know, and I think that's why there hasn't been, like, an IMG helping img platform Mm. like a big one before because really people just don't care anymore it's if they get ahead they're not willing to like take a step back and help people again because they just want to further themselves in medicine I don't know that's just the vibe I get I think also if you look at the majority
0: of the personality types that are attracted to medicine they're not good ones (laughs) (laughs) like they're really it concerns
1: me because I look at some people I'm like "Um, am I like this yeah like (laughs) like
0: I like I generally go like most of the surgeons I'm like ah yes (laughs) makes sense why you're here you hate people and you're quite a horrible person on the inside <laughs> you, hate, yeah. everyone you, you hate everyone around you everyone around you and you eat young children for breakfast <laughs> <laughs> now you're yeah okay this is why you wanted to go into the surgery specialty program actually i've met a couple nice surgeons i shouldn't say that but for the most part
1: cruel people but i mean do you sometimes people. look at people in the specialties that you're interested in and be like ah? Oh, that's so weird. Am I like that? <laughs> because you were interested in the same thing. You probably also act like that. Um. Well, see, the specialty
0: I was interested in, uh, the most people that go into it are personalities I really like. So if mm. I'm like, oh, I'm like that. Yeah, I'm funny. I'm so down to earth. I'm all these things. I could join this specialty. <laughs> well, yeah, <I> highly <laughs> I talk about myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's – but that's medicine. Like for the most part – Um it's very cutthroat but also like I won't say people love to see you fail but people people don't care of the consequences that if you fail and if they contributed to you failing like for example like we talked about the 360 assessment they're nice to your face and they're They're trying to, like, you know, give you encouragement, but really behind your back, they're doing the worst things by you. They don't care what the consequence of that means for you, especially for an IMG who's put so much time and money to getting their foot in the door and to sabotage them, what that actually means,
1: you know? And I know a lot of – when I think of the 360 degrees where people get these bad feedbacks with people that they thought were going to be, you know, positive towards them, I – just think of like registrars or local graduate registrars that where an IMG has worked underneath them, where they often, you don't get told to your face when you actually suck at what you're doing, but they complain amongst each other that, oh, you know, the IMG I'm working with is just not up to standard. And those are the ones, then you work with them and you think, oh, you know, I've worked with this registrar for three months. They know me. They've been friendly to me because they will always be friendly. Australians are friendly. Mm. They're very friendly people, but they might not think that you're good. Yeah. Um, and they can be friendly and at the same time think that you're not up to standard. Yes. Just because you're not up to standard doesn't mean they're going to treat you badly. And that's what's so con- confusing because in other countries, when <laughs> when you're not good, you can feel it. Like people treat you like you're not good. Yeah. Whereas here, there's a very respectful culture and people are still friendly to you, to your face a lot. Mm. And I feel like the, those are the registrars that you'd put on your three sixty degree assessment, and actually you don't know what they th- in your in their head. You actually they're actually thinking, you know, she, that that person's not up to standard. So if you're thinking of putting someone like that on, maybe you know at your midterm assessment or before you end the rotation, go to them and say, you know, how am I doing? Do you have any constructive feedback for me? Oh, that's such a um, good idea. Do test you test them before exactly. you put them on? Do you have? what like do you think i'm excelling at at some things or do you think that there's some things that i need to work on what can i do to be better yeah and even if you don't carry out any of this advice the fact that you even just said that to them will show them that you have insight and that you then if you ask them they would probably give you a better review
0: It, it also forces them to be mature and because yes this is the other thing about registrars like They are seen as like semi-senior people of the team, well, specifically senior to the juniors. And part of being a registrar is like you have to run your team. And part of running a team is giving feedback um, and constructive feedback. And that can be very awkward. Now, but here's the problem medicine. We don't teach people how to be good managers and when no. i we don't call them managers we call them registrars and consultants we don't teach them any of that we just it's just based off their postgraduate experience the more they have the more they're entitled to be a registrar but they've got no managerial skill or no skill of really running a team so that's why they don't give you the correct feedback is because they don't have those skills to you know be be i guess comfortable with saying, can I pull you aside? Let's talk. How do you think you're going? Okay, can I make some recommendations? Like, they find that awkward. What they're more comfortable with is smiling to your face and saying bad things behind your back.
1: But I feel like that, and I think it's not done out of, like, it's not coming from a bad place. I think that it's just very Australian to always be sort of friendly and polite, even if you think someone's not doing well. But What I'm certainly used to is if I'm not doing a good job, the consultants, the registrars will literally say, Sasha, how can you not know that? Like Mm. that is basic sciences. How can you not know that? No one has ever said that to me here. I've not gotten sort of any very, very bad feedback, which is alarming because there's no way that I'm doing everything correctly. Yes. So that just shows you I've, I've gotten way more bad feedback You know at home in my own country where i was more comfortable in the environment i got more bad feedback whereas here i'm very uncomfortable and got less bad feedback yeah which is concerning yeah so i think the feedback situation here is because people are a lot more um sort of concentrated on being respectful to each other and having a respectful workplace with no bullying bullying is a very big thing in australia and not in other countries No one cares about bullying in other countries. So here, I think people are so careful or walking on eggshells with the IMGs. It's
0: so interesting that you say that because, yeah, while we'd say, oh, you shouldn't bully and there's no harassment in the workplace, the medical environment is the worst industry to follow that. The bullying here is actually quite bad, but it's in a different way. Yeah, it's it's catty. It's it's subtle. It's, it's, it's behind subtle, your back. It's behind your back. It's ba- like vindictive like that, type yeah, of bullying. it's like that horrible auntie that the smiles to your face and does the horrible things behind your back. That we we all have that auntie, <laughs> surely. <laughs> it's like that, and I actually don't like that because really? I like to know where I stand with people, and I tend to believe like if you don't, if I don't like you, I will never be rude to you. But you'll know, you'll know that I actually don't like you.
1: Not, not in a rude
0: way, but you know where you'll stand with me, because. See, I'm I think
1: that's your ethnic side coming up.
0: <laughs> well, no, my, eth- but no. To be honest, most most ethnic people and <laughs> my eth- in my ethnic, um, you know, I guess my ethnic culture like are not like that. It's very much two faced, oh, really? and that's not what I'm about at all. So, um, you know, I'm all about having those uncomfortable conversations and you know being truthful with people and being honest but in a respectful way what i find here is that people just are uncomfortable with being honest yes and and it's not like because i want i'm trying to be friendly it's because i'll be honest they don't really have a lot of integrity when it comes to feedback Mm. um and that's actually really important to know so you've got to be careful with those 360 assessments i think you Recommending that going up to your to and somebody that you're potentially gonna put down and asking for feedback is a great way. I, I did
1: that a lot because I noticed that I wasn't getting feedback. Yeah. I, I I at every rotation asked people. Yes, am I doing this correctly? Is this okay? I blatantly asked some of the registrars. Can you give me some feedback? Like, what do you think? Like, what what should I be doing? Or what should I improve on? And it's really uncomfortable. I hate it. I hate getting negative criticism. I hate negative feedback. But it's so important for growth. Oh, it really
0: is. It really is. And particularly for this 360 assessment where you need to put the names down, I think it's really important. And you need to
1: gauge t- where people are at with you. Yes,
0: 100%, 100%. And then if you're not doing it WBA, but it's also just really important to to for you to grow as a practitioner to get this mm. feedback because they're not going to just hand it to you. So, you've got to go and ask them.
1: And I, I think it's really important for people coming from countries like mine where um you know, very senior registrars and consultants like, you know, they all the power to them. They are amazing and they're very qualified, but they will like openly break you down on, on ward rounds. I'm used to that. Like we would f- be fearful for ward rounds or teaching situations where they would ask you something. You didn't know the answer. It's it like they would just make you feel so small or so stupid. Whereas here it's not like that. So one of the things that people don't understand is that here you're not going to be openly ridiculed to your face mm. but you will maybe be talked about behind your back so you think you're doing a good job but you might not be because they conscious to not break you down in front of people like what you used to do at home and another thing about that is the asking for help is is also that same problem because people are used to being um in a situation where they ask a question and if you don't know the answer you are made to feel dumb you told off in front of all your colleagues so here People will often lie or say they know things because they don't want to feel be made to feel stupid when actually what they should be saying is actually I don't know and I'll ask someone. That's Mm. not what is culturally acceptable in some countries. Yeah. So that's why this happens as well with the not asking for help.
0: Mm. No, very, very good points okay so that ends part 5b which is all about the wba stay tuned for part 5c which is about amc2 preparation now if you found this information helpful we do have a facebook and an instagram which you can follow but we also have a youtube channel and i suggest that you subscribe to our youtube channel because we have a whole series on moving your medical career to australia Um, And we don't want you to miss out on any of those videos. So head over there and click the subscribe button. So thank you for listening and we will catch you in part 5C. See you there.